Back in the period from June to November of 1962, Paul Gregory reportedly knew Lee and Marina Oswald better than anyone else. Two hours after President Kennedy's assassination, Mr. Gregory, a student at the University of Oklahoma, was watching television and saw members of the Dallas police escorting a suspect into the police headquarters. Paul Gregory said out loud, I know that man, meaning Lee Harvey Oswald. Sixty years later, he has written for the first time his account of his friendship with Lee Oswald and his wife, Marina. Paul Gregory, how is it that you spent 48 different visits to the Lee Harvey Oswald household back in 1962? Well, it's a long story. I'll try to make it short. Um, I became acquainted with Lee Harvey Oswald shortly after he and his wife Marina and daughter June returned to the U.S. to our mutual uh, hometown of Fort Worth. My father, uh, who uh, was born in uh, Chita, Siberia, uh, became a petroleum engineer and worked out of Fort Worth. He also offered uh, language classes, uh, Russian language classes as a volunteer at the library. So he was known as the one person in Fort Worth who could uh, communicate in Russian. And somehow the employment agency in Fort Worth sent him to my father's office for certification that he was um, proficient uh, in Russian. Uh, Lee came back with the illusion that he would be greeted with open arms. There would be employers who would want to hire him because of his three years behind the Iron Curtain. So Lee showed up at my father's office. Um, my father did listen to his Russian, spoke Russian with him, which and he wrote a certification that this fellow is fluent in Russian, and if there are any jobs out there requiring Russian, he's okay. Before leaving, well, they went to the Texas Hotel for lunch, which was uh, near the office. Uh, upon leaving, Lee left the number of his, of his brother Robert, where they were staying, with an invitation, come over and meet my wife, uh, Marina. Uh, so that's how it all got started. Whether there were 48 visits, I doubt it. Uh, I think that's one of the conspiracy theories that somehow ties me into this conspiracy. It was less than 48, but it was a fairly substantial number. So why were you around Lee Harvey Oswald and his wife a lot of time, for a lot of time? Well, the arrangement we made, and remember, I was... Um, sort of a fanatic in studying uh, Russia and the Soviet Union, and this was Cold War and Sputnik, etc. cetera. Uh, I very much wanted to meet someone who was fresh out of the Soviet Union. And we have to both remember how it was in those days. There was virtually no one coming in uh, to the United States from uh, uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, what we had among Russian speakers were displaced persons, Ukrainians, Poles, etc., who spoke Russian, and they were a part of this Fort Worth, Dallas um, Russian community. So um, 
I very much wanted to um, meet Marina, to talk to her about uh, the Soviet Union, about Minsk. Uh, I wanted to improve my conversational Russian with her. As a consequence of this, and my father was very leery of Lee and really was not encouraging me to be around them a lot, we agreed that I would come to their house, which was a duplex on Mercedes Street near Montgomery Wards, two or three times a week, and uh, we would converse and uh, talk about things and, and so on. So that's how I came to be there on a regular basis. Well, we ought to get one thing out of the way, because as you know and you mentioned in your book, there are a lot of conspiracy theories. What is your feeling about Lee Harvey Oswald and his role in the assassination of JFK? Uh, my feeling is and has been since, let's say, an hour into the assassination that he did it, he did it alone. My words to the Secret Service when they picked me up the next morning as a known associate of Oswald, uh, already in the car from Norman, Oklahoma, where I was a student, to Oklahoma City, uh, I was asked, what do you think? I said, uh, he did it, he did it alone, he did it because he wanted fame and notoriety. Uh, if there were a conspiracy and I were in charge of it, he'd be the last one I, I would recruit because unreliable and for other reasons. So I never... I never had a, a problem um, accepting the fact that he did it and he did it alone. And you point out in your book again that you did not see Lee Harvey Oswald or Marina Oswald after Thanksgiving, exactly one year before the assassination. Why didn't you see them during that period? I was um, I was uh, a student in Oklahoma as a constant, and I was uh, um, mostly not in Fort Worth. Um, so let's see, the question is, uh, well, why the, the answer is they moved to Dallas courtesy of the, of the Gregory family, because, uh, we had agreed to introduce Lee and Marina to what we call the Dallas Russians headed by a fellow named George Bucher. So we invited, uh, Bucher and company over to our house for dinner. Lee was on his best behavior. Marina put on her red dress, which had, uh, she wore when she first met Lee. And uh, as a consequence of that, of that dinner party, uh, they moved to Dallas. I went back to Norman, Oklahoma, uh, and uh, I had no real occasion to seek them out in Dallas. I had thought perhaps we would meet uh, for Thanksgiving uh, and indeed, that's what happened. The, the last time we met was November 22nd, 1962, which was Thanksgiving Day. So that's the reason I didn't see them. So the most concentrated time of being together with them would have been June through September of 62. Let's assume that Somebody listening to this has no idea of the specifics back then, so I want to ask you to back off, back away from the assassination and fill in some blanks. How old were Lee, Harvey Oswald, and Marina in 1963 on the assassination day? Um, by my count, Marina was 21, uh, Lee was 24, I was 21. 
Uh, so a uh, bunch of kids, the three of us, uh, and uh, whether whether they'd had a birthday uh, between November 22nd, uh, uh, November 62 and 63, I don't know. But the answer is approximately 21 and 24. You point out that his father died before he was born. What was his mother like, Marguerite? Uh, his mother was a monster, a disaster. Uh, and we saw this, or I didn't see it firsthand, but my father saw it firsthand because uh, he translated for Marina in the aftermath of the assassination. Uh, my parents got a, um, were, were awakened at 3 a.m. The, the night of the assassination by the Secret Service, and they understood that my father uh, could speak English, uh, Russian and could translate. So uh, it was, I'm, I'm getting a little bit off, off track here. Would you want to repeat the question? Well, l let me move on to ask you ab ab yeah. about both of them. When you were in and around the two of them <clears throat> in, uh, in those months in 1962, what did you observe? I observed a family uh, of uh, Lee and Marina in June uh, living very poorly. Uh, I don't think Marina understood how poorly they were living because Lee put her in sort of a uh, gilded cage, which he locked, trying to keep her away from anyone who would sort of let her know that they were living at the minimum of, um, of poverty. Uh, he was working for $1.25 an hour. They lived in a, in a small duplex in a poor part of town. Uh, Lee had no car. He, he walked to work or he rode the bus to work. There was no baby carriage in the, in the household. Uh, therefore, if Marina wanted to go out, she had to carry June everywhere. So this was a family living on the borderline. Uh, I was the only one who was really admitted into this uh, sanctum or san sanctuary, if you want to call it. Lee was very, very worried about Marina learning uh, uh, English, because if she learned English, she would learn that they were not doing it all well. For her, having a duplex without air conditioning, uh, without a fan even, in uh, Fort Worth, Texas in the summer didn't bother her. Compared to men, she was doing pretty well, and Lee wanted to keep her thinking that way. Uh, now, there has been a great deal of attention devoted to the fact that when I was there the whole time, the time of the time magazine of the year edition was on their on a small table in their living room and that had uh, jfk as the um, man of the year um, and that gave me occasion to uh to ask marina and lee particularly marina you know do you know who this is uh, have you heard anything about the president and marina answered that uh, she very much admired the president. She very much admired Jackie. Uh, from what she could see, Jackie was a very good mother. 
uh, Lee did not object to any of this. And for some strange reason, that, that was the only piece of literature uh, in, the, in the apartment. And it was this picture of JFK on the cover of Time. What was your relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald during the time that you visited that home and uh, spoke Russian between you and Marina? Well, when when I say we spoke Russian, we also spoke Russian with Lee. So uh, whenever I was there, the entire conversation would be in in Russian. So that made me a pretty good judge of how good his Russian was, uh, which has been an element of controversy uh, and, and and the foundation for a conspiracy theory. As to my relationship, Ali was a real cipher. He said very little. We didn't engage in any conversations about Marxism, Leninism, uh, about what he was re reading, because he did read a lot. He was a, sort of a bookworm. Uh, he had the uh, habit uh, or practice of of making you think that he'd answered a question when he'd not really answered it. The one thing he did not want to talk about was why he went to the Soviet Union after being discharged from the Marines. Uh, my father asked him that question in their first visit. Uh, that question was asked at the dinner party at our house. Ali did not did not want to answer that question. Uh, another illustration of this is we learned that Lee and I attended the same high school. And from the questions that he did not answer, or he would shrug his shoulders, uh, I thought he had graduated from the same high school as I. It turns out, no, he was there for two months, and then he left to um, um, uh, join the Marines. So he did this. He did have a habit of, of saying very little about himself, uh, allowing you to draw conclusions about him that were not uh, correct. Uh, he, in in terms of behavior, I, I never saw him in a bad mood. I never saw him uh, weary, because he did walk to work. Uh, he did work eight or nine hours a day as a welder. So this, this is tough work. He was, he was never, never appeared to be tired. Uh, he was a good father to June. So these are the things that, uh, that I observed. Three years in the Soviet Union, why did he go there? Lee had the habit of thinking the grass was greener on the other side of the fence. Uh, he joined the Marines because he thought that would be a career for him. Uh, that didn't work out. He spent much of the time in, in much of his time in the brig. Uh, from his readings of Marx, uh, which he began at the age of 15, uh, he had decided that uh, the Soviet Union must be a worker's paradise. So somehow he got himself to Moscow. Uh, he thought he would be greeted with open arms because uh, he had volunteered to uh, tell them all the secrets he had learned in the Marines. Uh, but they regarded him as, as sort of a kook and were anxious for him either to leave the Soviet Union or to 
put him in some uh, distant province, namely Belarus, uh, where he couldn't do much harm. So, uh, and then uh, that was not working out. So he figured the uh, United States would be uh, his next attempt at, at a good life. He thought that he would be greeted with open arms, that publishers would want to publish his historic diary, uh, which was full of misspellings and no punctuation. Uh, when that didn't work out, and this sort of brings us to the December 15 um, uh, releases of, of classified documents, he'd pretty much given up on the United States, and his next plan was to go to Cuba. And so one reason why he was in Mexico City uh, two months before the assassination was to arrange visas. He needed two visas, one to go to the Soviet Union, where he was pretending he wanted to go back, but really he needed a transit visa to Cuba. So it was really his plan uh, to leave the United States, go to Cuba, where he would be well-received and respected. So that part of his life didn't happen because he he happened to uh, kill the president. Let me ask you about your, yourself. Uh, where do you live today? Uh, I would say uh, Palo Alto, California. How long? Did and you... and with considerable time spent in eastern Tennessee with my son and granddaughters, all How... of whom speak Russian, by the way. How did that happen? Uh, my, my son worked for um, quite a while in Ukraine and uh, married a beautiful Ukrainian young lady. So that explains it. And how long did you teach at the University of uh, Houston? Uh, almost 50 years. What did you teach? Economics. So my PhD is in economics. When you started, when, when did you start preparing to write this book? Yeah, one of the questions that I'm often asked is, why wait 60 years? Uh, the answer is, I didn't, I didn't feel I had time to write a book. Uh, I was uh, in the publisher parish business, so I needed to write scholarly papers, and I built a pretty good career uh, writing scholarly papers on the Soviet and Russian economies. So I didn't really have time to to write a book. In fact, it would have struck me as a rather odd idea if someone had said, why don't you write a book? Uh, so it was only uh, much later in life uh, where my colleagues, and I, I'm also at the Hoover Institution of Stanford, where I am among uh, very good historians. And it is these historians who... Uh, who, upon hearing that I actually knew the assassin, the assassin of Kennedy, they said, you know, you must write this down. But to me, I didn't think it was all that important to tell the truth. That may be another factor. Another factor why I waited so long was that my family did not want it known that we had any type of association with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. It would have affected my father's business, his our social life, et cetera, et cetera. So there are any number of reasons for me not thinking, even thinking about writing this book. So it was only the 60th anniversary, or the 50th, 
that I wrote a, a piece for the New York Times, which sort of serves as a preview uh, to this um, to my book, my current book. So uh, the, the, that's 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 the reason. And another factor is that uh, as my career, academic career, developed, I became much more of a historian than than an than an economist. And so I I realized that there was a lot of material out there which would allow me to approach this subject as, as a real historian would write it with the added twist that I was a small part of that history being written. How often was Lee Harvey Oswald in any kind of a jail? He was in the brig in the, in the Marines. Um, he was in jail in Dallas before Ruby shot him. So I guess two times. Why was he in the brig in the Marine Corps? Uh, insubordination. Uh, he uh, had an illegal weapon, which he brought on base. Uh, he got into fights. I think he got into a fight with one of his superiors. So he was a real pain uh, for the Marines. Where was he located in the Marine Corps? Um, I think Japan. And you know, one of the conspiracy theories is that uh, the U-2 um, was based where he served and that he knew something about uh, Gary Powers and all that story. Uh, but I, I have not researched this enough to, to, to form an opinion. Why was he given a less than honorable discharge from the Marine Corps? Uh, I think uh, I think I've answered that. I think the the main factor was uh, hitting hitting a, a superior officer. The main reason I ask you that because in your book you talk about the fact that he did not like John Connolly, who had been Secretary of the Navy and Governor of Texas, and you say he wrote him a letter asking what. Um. He was dishonorably discharged, and while he was still in the Soviet Union, he uh, began a campaign to remove that dishonor dishonorable discharge. So he was writing letters to Connolly, all of which are on record, uh, basically arguing that he did not deserve a dishonorable discharge. Uh, I can't remember the details of, of those letters. Uh, Surprisingly or, or not, uh, his intermediary with uh, Connolly was his mother, uh, who I said was uh, quite a character, and I would characterize her uh, as a monster. Uh, so he used his brother, Robert, when he needed Robert. He used his mother, Marguerite, when he needed her. Uh, he would not allow Marina to admit the mother to their uh, duplex. Uh, so um, he figured he's going to return to the U.S. He knew that uh, the the burden of a dishonorable discharge would be heavy for him. And so he began this campaign. Uh, it was not successful, but at least it gave, gave us a lot of material on his his life and how he operated. He tried to kill General Walker. Who was General Walker, and what impact did that have? Why didn't he get picked up after that? That's a very good question. Uh, general Edwin Walker uh, was a general. Uh, I believe he was relieved of duty. 
Uh, he lived in Dallas. He was uh, in, I think, a leader of the John Birch Society in Dallas. And much of the reputation of Dallas as being a haven for a right-wing nuts uh, came from the fact that uh, Walker lived in Dallas. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald decided that he would uh, kill uh, General Walker, and probably that's what he had in mind when he ordered the assassination rifle, because that was the rifle he fired at Walker uh, late at night uh, when he was uh, uh, on on where he he had a, he had cased the joint as one could say, and he had a position which would allow him to fire at Walker sitting in his study. He barely missed Walker. Uh, he ca he came uh, back frightened to his wife Marina, who was worried about him not being at at home, and he told her about this uh, Walker incident, and when she told when she said you know you can't do things like that particularly in peacetime he said well it, it's, it's it's as if i were a german citizen uh assassinating hitler at just the right moment and that was not convincing to marina the importance of the walker thing is that uh it shows that oswald didn't have any worry about being a killer so he he was intent on killing walker he didn't have any hesitation in killing Tippett, and I think he almost killed the arresting officer at the theater. Well, going back to the the uh, John Connolly situation, was it ever implied in all the Warren Commission and all that he was just possibly wanting to shoot Connolly instead of the president? I think it would be that correspondence uh, that would have, have given rise to that theory, but uh, I didn't see anything, and if, if there were something, it would be rather trivial, I would think. Did anybody ever catch up with him after he tried to kill Walker? Did anybody ever find that out? No, uh, and this is to some degree a tribute to uh, his ability to manipulate and plan because he put two or three weeks uh, into the planning of the assassination of Walker. Uh, his, his escape route after supposedly killing Walker, was to run a couple of miles to the next bus station, uh, our bus stop, then get on the bus and go go home. Uh, earlier, I looked at that as, as sort of comical, um, if you can use that term with respect to assassinating a president. The fact that he escaped from uh, Dealey Plaza on a bus, you know, that, that who could have imagined that? But uh, after killing, after trying to kill Walker, he did escape on the bus. And when Marina asked him about this, he said, "Americans are so stupid; they would never think of an assassin escaping on a bus." So what I thought was um, comedic almost uh, turned out to be a part of his thinking. Go back to Russia for a moment. When he was in Moscow, did he ever was he ever successful in renouncing his U.S. citizenship? Uh, we have a lot of material on that because the uh, U.S. Embassy kept very good records of this. Uh, the first they heard of Oswald in in Moscow in the embassy was when he comes in on a Saturday, where they only had a skeleton crew uh, on duty, 
and uh, he said that he was an American. He was ready to renounce his American citizenship, and he would place all his knowledge uh, in. Um, uh, he would devote all of his talents to helping the Soviet Union. At that point, he pulled out his passport, uh, threw it on the desk of the uh, consular official, and uh, walked out with a smile on his face. The consular official told him, well, you know, it's Saturday, we can't process this, so I'll just keep the, the passport. So that passport remained in the uh, embassy uh, for um, almost three years, and it, it was available when and Oswald wanted to re reinstate his citizenship. Why? But did, you could, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Now, I, uh, now, you go ahead, please. My, my question was, why did the leaders in Moscow send him to Minsk, Belarus, and give him a good job and a good apartment? What was their motive there? Uh, their motive was to um, get rid of him, to sort of... Uh, I'm trying to think of the Russian term, uh, which doesn't come to me right now. It's, it's the sort of put out to pasture in a sleepy place where he can't do any harm. Uh, he would disagree with your characterization of good job and easy life because they did assign him to uh, work as a machinist in the um, biggest company in, in town. Uh, they paid him uh, double wages and in addition, the so-called Soviet Red Cross gave him an enormous amount of money. So the one thing that Lee Harvey Oswald had in Minsk was a pocket full of money and little uh, to spend it on. But he, he did uh, live much better than his fellow workers, and this caused a lot of resentment. Uh, as far as the Moscow authorities were concerned, and by the way, I was surprised that his case was handled by the Politburo. I always thought this would be like a local uh, passport office, but it was the Politburo itself that decided to send him to Minsk to put him out to pasture. So um, uh, the, the whole idea was to just get this guy out of the way because he was regarded as unstable due to the fact that he made a almost credible suicide attempt. So they want him out of the way. They wanted him out of the way. And there's no doubt that he was surveilled very closely. So we have some of those surveillance documents. They also gave him a best friend, uh, Pavel, who um, who kept track of, of Lee and was clearly a, a, a KGB plant. You say he was somewhat of a ladies' man, and I, I want to ask you about that in the had somebody that he was really interested in who rejected him, and then I want to know how he, uh, how, how the marina, uh, of, you know, their relationship was, was uh, started. Uh, probably for the first time in his life, Lee was attractive to women uh, in Minsk. He dressed well. Uh, he was he he was fastidious about his appearance and and whether his hair was uh, properly cut and so forth. The biggest attraction, however, was the fact that Lee had an apartment for himself, 
in a good apartment building with a good view of the of the river. So uh, and also Lee's friends, including this Pavel, who was a KGB plant, uh, would introduce him to women, uh, in particular, the the women who were studying English language wanted to be around Lee, Lee so they could practice their English. They even made tapes of, of his so-called Southern accent. Uh, so he was attractive to women and he clearly, uh, and remember he's probably 19 at this point, he clearly wanted to get married to a Russian. So he had uh, a um, promising romance and at this moment I can't remember her name which went on for a long time, maybe eight or nine months. Uh, he was often in her house with her, in her apartment with her parents, etc. He figured it would be a sure thing uh, when he asked her to marry him that she would accept. She turned him down to his surprise. And the reason given was, Lee, you don't quite understand how the Soviet Union works. If I marry you, I'm in for a lot of trouble, and I just don't want that trouble. So on the rebound, he met Marina at a dance where she had on this red dress, which she brought with, with her to the to Texas. Uh, she understood that he had an apartment, that he, in, that he had plenty of money, uh, and she was something of a maverick herself because once they became engaged, uh, she uh, had a lot of trouble at work. The the party cell would call meetings to berate her for her uh, going out with this American when she uh, got a visa to leave. Uh, they she lost all her friends, et cetera, et cetera. So it takes a maverick to go through to endure something like that. But. Uh, he met Marina on the rebound. Uh, he proposed, she accepted. At the time he made the proposal, he was already planning and scheming to return to the US and he didn't tell her about this. So she was among the last to know that he was headed for the US and it was only the birth of their daughter that convinced her to go with him. Why did he feign a suicide attempt in Russia? Uh, because he was there on an in-tourist uh, visa. Uh, the, the visa had expired, even though uh, the visa had ex or was expiring that evening, and they were going to pick him up and, I don't know, put him on a plane or a train. I don't know what they had in mind. He was in, um, he was in a hotel, and uh, he had an in-tourist guide, Rima, who was assigned to him. So he timed the slitting of his wrist to a time when he knew Rima would be arriving. But he did lose a lot of blood and he did, did spend um, some considerable time in the hospital. By the way, that's... But the, the, the suicide was required, at least he thought, in order to not be deported. And at what time in the time, his three years in the Soviet Union, did he have, did he try the suicide? Was it at the beginning or in the middle? In the very beginning. For, I guess he probably had a visa for maybe a week or a couple of weeks. So at the end of that time is when he attempted suicide. So they decided to come back to the United States. Why did the United States 
allow him back in, and why did they loan him the money to come back? Well, all that correspondence is there. Uh, it also tells me that Oswald, when he wanted to, could be fairly convincing because the consular official who uh, handled his case for a return was the same consular official he saw on that Saturday when he threw the passport on his desk. Uh, as far as that, con that consular official uh, was very interested in whether this guy had seen the light and somehow Lee convinced him that he had made a mistake. You know, uh, he really uh, had changed. He no longer ha held these opinions. And if he could just go back to the United States, everything would be fine. So in the correspondence among uh, the consular officials in Washington, there is interest in whether or not he'd really changed his stripes. And I guess he convinced him that he had. Uh, he didn't have the money to get back, so the, the, consul, the, the consular office did make him a loan, which he repaid. Um, his brother, uh, Robert, gave him a loan, which he repaid. He, Lee was very careful with his money, which I observed firsthand because I would drop them and go shopping with them. So that, that's the answer. Uh, I'm... I imagine there was deep regret among those officials in the U.S. Embassy when they heard that he had, was the prime suspect in killing the president. By the way, uh, you were at the University of Oklahoma as a student when the assassination happened. Tell us the circumstances of what, how you figured out that you knew Lee Harvey Oswald. It was easy. Uh, we were... <laughs> about to attend class in the library. Uh, a fellow student came in, said the president's been shot, no classes. I headed for the student union where they would have a reasonably large TV, sat there, uh, heard Walter Cronkite say that Kennedy had died. Uh, I guess about an hour or so later, they said there's a suspect, they're bringing him in. Uh, they bring in this guy who looks very short relative to the uh, Dallas police uh, in a t-shirt, bloodied nose, eye, black eye, etc. I said, that's Lee, Lee, Hart, Lee Oswald. So I had, <laughs> that was what you might say, the shock of your life. What did you do after that? I said, uh, and there were like 50 people around that TV set. I said, I know that guy. No one paid attention. They thought I was crazy. So I did nothing. I just sat there like everybody else. It was our first national trauma that was televised. So no traffic on the street, no movement. I went back to my student apartment. My roommate was out of town. So I, I sat there uh, for quite a while with this with this secret and no one to share it with so it, it was a very odd feeling it was a feeling of being in shock so the next morning probably around 9 a.m the uh chief of police of norman with a, a secret service agent came and got me and uh, drove me to oklahoma city where i did my first uh, deposition when did you talk to your father about this i talked to my mother uh, I would say a couple of hours 
uh, after uh, they brought Oswald in and I called up and and she said, yes, I know what you're calling about. So she already knew and my father already knew because he had uh, watched television at the Texas Hotel, which is where JFK spent his last night. So um, uh, I probably didn't get a, a full accounting of what happened with respect to my father until Thanksgiving, which was like four days later. And my father was a great raconteur. So I got a very detailed account of what was going on at the Six Flags Inn between Dallas and Fort Worth, where he was locked in with uh, Marguerite, um, Marina, the two daughters, and the Secret Service. One of the interesting things he saw was the bitter enmity uh, between the Secret Service and the FBI. So the Secret Service would not tell the FBI where Marina was. The, uh, the Secret Service, who were very close to the president, thought that the FBI had really, really fouled this up, really had, had dropped the ball, and it was because of FBI incompetence that the president was dead. So he, he saw some very interesting things in that four or five days at Six Flags Inn. How did you, uh, <clears throat> when did you start re- doing your research and writing this book, and how, what period of time uh, did you do this? I would say, and you know, all of us have uh, on our computers uh, the correspondence and emails for the, ne- for the last decade. So in terms of email traffic related to this, I would imagine about four years. Uh, one, one reason why it was so time consuming is that is the Warren Report is, is a masterpiece uh, that few have bothered to read. So it was very interesting. I, I wanted to find those instances where I had already expressed myself Uh, with respect to uh, what I remembered. And in many cases, what I was trying to remember was also witnessed by someone else, such as, say, the dinner at our house with Oswald and the Dallas Russians. So I wanted to be sure that my memory was serving me well. And I must say, I, I was quite pleased to see that even though these are 50 or 60 year old memories, that, that they were pretty accurate. How much of the Warren Commission have you read? If anyone says more than 5%, they're lying. Because you have all the exhibits, you have all the appendices, and so on. So I would say I've read. Uh, but if, if, you're, if you're a good researcher, you know where to look. And so you know where, also you know where not to look. So I think I got the, probably I'm up to like 10 or 20%, but in terms of of material that's of immediate interest, uh, I'd say I got close to 80%. As you referred earlier to the fact that some more uh, material from the Warren Commission has been released in, in December, why has it taken so long and how much is left to be released? And do you think there's anything in there that will surprise people? Well, I've spent a lot of time the last few days going through that release. I spent a lot of time going through uh, earlier releases. 
uh, one being FBI wiretaps of Marina after the assassination. Uh, and I found nothing of, of great substance in any of these releases. The latest release, which has brought uh, out some of the kookiest uh, conspiracy theories, uh, doesn't add very much to anything. In fact, I did not see anything that I didn't know already in the December 15 releases. Uh, the blame, I, I feel, is this tendency towards overclassification. An example would be uh, the fact that there was a secret agreement uh, between the CIA and the then president of Mexico to, um, to wiretap and surveil the Soviet and Cuban embassies in Mexico City. That was 56, that was 59 years ago. So uh, that really is not something that needed to be classified, but that was one of the nuggets that they wanted to uh, keep out of the public domain for, for some reason. Uh, they did, there were a couple of minor things that caught my attention, but uh, it all really boils down, in my view, to what Oswald was doing in Mexico City. And that is where the conspiracy theorists find the most meat and where I find absolutely no meat. So uh, Oswald in Mexico City is sort of a key. And I saw nothing in the December 15 releases to uh, convince me otherwise. As you prepared to write this book, was, are there, were there or are there anybody who uh, is still alive from those days that you were able to uh, talk with and uh, compare notes? Uh, yes. Um, well, the obvious question is, did I talk to Marina? Uh, the, the answer is no. Uh, Marina's second husband, who's performed marvelous service for her, keeping her out of the public eye, would has, has uh, put an iron curtain around Marina. And I could see this, and um, I, I just didn't want to bother her. I, if I were a newspaper reporter, I could probably be obnoxious, but I didn't want to be obnoxious. Mike Howard, who uh, was the Secret Service agent in charge of the um, of Marina and Marguerite, et cetera, in, in Six Flags Inn, is, is, is alive at age 92. He's still an active police officer, lives outside of uh, Dallas. Uh, he and I have had uh, quite a few conversations. Uh, he, his memory is quite good, and he has uh, quite interesting anecdotes. Uh, so he's the one who, who was most valuable, and he is the one who also confirmed some of the more uh, outrageous things that my father saw in, 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 at the Six Flags Inn. I was at the, in the military back at the time, and I actually knew Mike Howard, and that's why I was surprised that he was in your book. He, he doesn't, I'm sure he doesn't remember me, but he was a very, very nice, outgoing guy who was L, one in the LBJ and Linda Bird Johnson detail, uh, and he had a tremendous amount to do with that whole time after the assassination. What, was, what were his responsibilities, and what did he remember the most? 
he remembered Marguerite the most as being, uh, I'll continue to use the word monster, a manipulative monster. So after it was over and uh, Marguerite had gone back to Fort Worth and, um, um, and Marina had gone into hiding in Dallas, uh, which is quite a story in itself, uh, he was in charge of Mar Marguerite's safety. Uh, Marguerite, uh, however, had developed a hatred for the Secret Service, in particular for Mike Howard, and thought that Mike Howard was, was, had been assigned to kill her. So uh, the, when Marguerite was called up to Washington to testify before the Warren Commission, he was supposed to drive her to the airport, but she would not get in a car with him without a local reporter present because Mike Howard would have murdered her in that car. So that sort of gives you a flavor for what my father and the Secret Service went through at that time. By, by the way, and you talk about this in your book, uh, where did Marguerite take Lee Harvey Oswald to live during uh, his early years? Uh, she led a vagabond life, and I understand why, because uh, she would alienate each and every employer, and then she would move to another city. So she took Lee, and I, I don't have the sequence uh, in my mind, but um, Fort Worth, New Orleans, the Bronx, maybe somewhere else. So he would never be in a school for any period of time. Uh, she, he was a latchkey kid at the age of 10 or whatever in, in say, Bronx, which is not an ideal childhood. Um, but she kept telling him that he was special that he was uh, bound, bound for greatness and that the world is against him. Uh, he hated her, uh, but he believed what she was, uh, what she was uh, pretending for him. So it's a very, very strange uh, situation. The two other brothers, one being a half-brother, uh, turned out quite well. One in a good military career, the other in a good industrial career, but they were farmed out to orphanages. So they did did well, whereas the youngest, Lee, was had to uh, um, follow his mother in her va vagabond journeys uh, throughout the U.S. You talk about a guy named James Martin. Who was yeah. he, and what was his relationship to Marina? James Martin... Uh, was at that time the manager of the Six Flags Inn Hotel. Uh, very handsome guy, looks looks sort of like uh, Cary Grant, tall, good looking, and Marina didn't mind. Uh, had a thing for, I believe, for tall, handsome men, which would not be Lee. Uh, he was the manager. He knew what was going on as the manager that that they had Marina and Marguerite in uh, isolation there. They could not stay forever at the Six Flags Inn because sooner or later the the news people would find out about this. 
And where? And so, let me just ask ahead. you this: What period of time were they at the Six Flag Inn, and where is that physically in Texas? It's uh, halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth, on on what was then the Dallas Fort Worth Turnpike. Uh, we're talking about the Sunday after the assassination to uh, New Year's Day, or uh, the day after New Year's uh, in 1963. So it's less than a week. But uh, Martin sort of understood what was going on. Uh, He saw a business opportunity here because uh, money was flowing in, donations were flowing in from all over the world for Marina. There was a great wave of sympathy for Marina. Um, so he saw this looks pretty good. And so he proposed that Marina with her two kids move in to his rather modest home in Dallas. Uh, she agreed, uh, not knowing that, uh, he issued this invitation without his own wife knowing. So through wiretaps and other means, uh, we now know that a sexual relationship developed between uh, Marina and and this guy, who became her business manager. And there was a lot of money at stake. So even after being milked by all kinds of adventurous, um, uh, Marina still had uh, enough money to buy a, a house for cash. So that tells you something about the amount of money that was flowing in so in sympathy to her. In the mid-90s, if I remember correctly, she went on the Oprah show and changed her mind, at least before the audience, that her husband had not operated alone. Uh, why do you think she did that, and do you think there was any money exchanged for her to appear on, on the money issue, I wouldn't know anything. Um, what I do know is that she said, yes, I think he did not do it alone, but she gave no details, so she didn't explain how he did it. At, now, I got a strange phone call from a woman who uh, I think was the one who persuaded uh, Marina that Lee did not do it alone. So she was kind of feeling me out. And she said, well, uh, you know, I might want, I might be able to arrange a meeting between you and Marina. Uh, nothing came of this. And I suspect she, she was uh, hoping for some money from me. Uh, but <clears throat> I really can't answer your question because it's, it's as much a mystery to me as it is to you. What did Robert Oswald, his brother, think uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did in the assassination? Did he did he think he operated alone? Yes, the only one the only one who uh, was contending that Lee was innocent was Marguerite, and at the time uh, Marina was uh, convinced as well. Now Robert is the the real hero of this story because he was uh, for for some reason he he. He did everything that a good brother should do, uh, and that was a, an awful lot. He had to arrange a funeral under very difficult circumstances because no cemetery wanted the Oswald body 
uh, no no minister was willing to preside. Uh, it was Robert had to spend though that less than a week at Six Flags Inn with Marguerite driving everybody nuts because she wanted uh, Lee buried in Arlington National because in reality Lee was um, an agent uh, for the United States and was a hero. So he had to contend with all that and he kept his uh, sanity. And uh, so he would be one of the few very positive figures that came out of this. By the way, did you know Marguerite when you were around Lee and Marina back in 1962? No, they would not admit her uh, to their apartment. Uh, and they made sure that Robert wasn't there when I came. And, and I don't know why that was the case. So I, I was always, it was just the three of us. Did you ever know Robert? Uh, I would say, let's see, I met Robert uh, at the very beginning. I, I, well, I, I, I don't know how to answer the, the question. I, I, I knew him, but uh, other than interactions that involved Lee and Marina, we didn't have anything to do with each other. We're about done, but I want to ask you a couple more questions about your father. You dedicate the book to your father. What was his opinion after uh, this all happened? No hesitation uh, to accept the fact that Lee did it, and Lee did it alone. Uh, there, he was he was pestered quite seriously by those who felt that the assassination was organized by big oil interests because he he practiced the petroleum engineering in Fort Worth. There was a lot of big oil money in Fort Worth, so it was kind of natural that the conspiracy theorists would move in, in that direction. One of our good friends who was part of the Russian community uh, as, as the husband of a Russian woman uh, was a, uh, an attorney for General Dynamics. And so the conspiracy theory, theorists went after him. And if you put him together with my father, you would have a, a, a cohesion of uh, big oil and defense industries. So that really was a, a bait for the conspiracy theorists. The conspiracy theorists uh, even put me in these conspiracies. And what I did, what I supposedly did or did not do, I have no idea. Where was your father born? Uh, Chitas, Siberia. What percentage of the American people from the latest poll that you've seen thinks that Lee Harvey Oswald was not a lone assassin? I think it's about 60. What, why do you think people think that? Uh, I think it's very simple. They say uh, uh, the killing of JFK changed history, and history is not changed by uh, losers who can't read, can't spell, um, work for $1.25 an hour. So that can't be the case. Everything must be determined by uh, more powerful forces. So that's my simple explanation, but I believe it's quite true. As we wrap it up, there's one little note in the book that kind of jumped out at me, that you learned that you had a lisp by reading the Warren Commission. 
that I had. I didn't quite get that. I say that you you say you tell us in your book that you learned that you had a lisp uh, from a reading. Lisp. Yeah. Yes, uh, I see. I heard L I S T. Uh, well, I can ask you. Well, I, it, to me, I wouldn't have given a second thought, but there's a slight, uh, you know, in your in your uh, verbal uh, language that you can hear is a little bit different. But did you not know that before you read it? No, that was the, my first occasion. And you'd been in the classroom in front of students for 50 some yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I guess the conclusion is it must not be pronounced. It's not. Let me ask you this as a final question. What what was this experience like? And you're still in the middle of it. Uh, the book is out just, a, you know, about six weeks or so. But what's the experience like writing this book and the reaction that you've been getting from people? Well, the reaction from most is I had no idea about this because I didn't talk about it. Uh, I talked about it only with a few friends. Uh, and the remarkable thing is that our family really was not dragged into the uh, into the press. So, you know, we wanted to keep it quiet, and, and it was kept quiet. So the reaction is, I didn't I didn't know about this story. So I'll go back to Hoover Institution at Stanford, and uh, I'll encounter colleagues who say, I, I heard about the book. Why didn't you tell me about this? <laughs> So uh, that's that's the answer. Just a quick recap. He tried to kill General Walker. He shot JFK. He also wounded John Connolly in the process. You mentioned about taking the bus away from the uh, the Texas Book Depository. Last question is about J.D. Tippett. Why did he kill this Dallas cop? I, I imagine he panicked. Um... And the, the killing of Tippett was a problem because if he had killed the president, he could say, I killed the president because he was moving us towards Vietnam or he was a, a capitalist or what have you. But an ordinary police officer with widow and children, it's hard to justify that. So that kind of uh, spoiled any satisfaction he got from having succeeded in killing uh, the president. Name of the book is An Untold Account of Marina and Lee Oswald. The book's called The Oswalds by Paul R. Gregory. And we thank you very much for your time, sir. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Book Notes Plus podcast. Please rate and review Book Notes Plus, And don't forget to follow so you never miss an episode. Questions or comments? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasts at c-span.org.